Welcome back to the Ninja Dirt Warrior Week in Wrestling for the week of March 7th, 2021. I am Greg Hernandez, your host, and thank you guys for coming back. This is the second week we're doing this. I listened uh, to last week's playback, and I did notice one thing. I say fuck way too often. Oh my God. Like, I, I thought I had Tourette Syndrome for a second. I really did. So if you're offended by that, we're going to scale that back just a little bit. Um, what else did we learn? Well, we learned from this week, manage your expectations. That's, that's the biggest thing we learned. And AEW taught us that in, in spades. We learned that a lot because here's the lesson, everybody. Don't swing for the fences unless you can actually put the bat on the ball. That, that's what we learned. All right. Um, as you can see, we started off with Christian Cage's music. Why? Oh, we'll get there. We're definitely going to get there. So um, we're going to jump headfirst into this bitch. I didn't say I wasn't going to swear. I'm just not going to say fuck as much. We're going to dive headfirst into this bitch. And this is AEW Revolution for March 7th, 2021. We started with a title match, which I maybe I'm a little old school. And I think that the title matches should be later in the show. But I guess, I mean, all right. Your classic mentality, your your traditional mentality is that you want to start the show off with something hot. And for that reason, I've always been taught as an indie wrestler that if you're not main eventing, you want to be the first match out the gate. You really do because it sets the tone for the rest of the night. And the Young Bucks being, you know, they, I mean, who who better to represent that indie mentality than the Young Bucks? And so that's what they did. They said, put us on first, and that way we can go out there, we can set this crowd on fire, and everybody that comes after us can come out to a hot crowd. So, yeah, that's exactly what they did. Well, they're also executive vice president, so it's probably easier to run the show when your match is already, you know, in the can. Um, two ways to look at it, just thinking. But this was a really good match. This, well, I mean, look, you have, you have the Young Bucks, you have Chris Jericho, and you have MJF. Of course this was going to be a great match. But the psychology in this was fantastic. It was great because you started this off. If, you, if you've been watching Dynamite and you follow the build to this match, Chris Jericho and MGF kicked the shit out of the out of Young Buck's dad. He they really did. And that is, oh, it's classic wrestling psychology. It's you want to make this personal. Because as Jim Cornette has said many times, two people beating the crap out of each other will always draw a crowd. Why they're fighting, what they're fighting over, that, okay, that can be cool, but two guys just punching each other in the face will always get people's attention. And that's what the Bucks, Chris Jericho, and MJF did here. So they, uh, they assaulted the Bucks' dad two weeks ago, which led to this match being personal, and that's how they start off. Now, if the Bucks had come out and Jericho and MJF and locked up, oh, I'd have been pissed. I'd have been absolutely pissed. Because if you punch my dad, guess what? We're, we're not going to compete. This is not going to be a friendly competition where I try to... I am going to kick your ass. So that's what the Bucks did. They came out, they jumped them, and this just started off as a fight. This was great. And these guys... They kept their shit tight. They kept it stiff. They were they laid it in. And there was this great 
Um, number one, the Bucks went for the Melter driver like three times, which is also great psychology because if you build to a spot and you keep building and building and building, when you finally hit that spot, that crowd goes nuts. But they went for the Melter driver like three times. And I do have to ask this question. I understand why the Melter driver, but I'm asking you this real quick. Um, no Wade Keller bomb? Seriously? Anyway, there was this great... Okay, so the Melter Driver. For anyone who's never seen the Melter Driver, Nick Jackson picks, picks up the opponent and... No, Matt Jackson. Matt Jackson picks the guy up in a tombstone. Nick does a springboard into a front flip and he lands on his ass, spiking... And the two guys spike their opponent into the ground. So basically, it is a springboard 450 tombstone. But as Nick Jackson does the springboard into the ring, Jericho comes out of nowhere, counters it with a code breaker. I popped. I seriously popped. I thought this was great. And then MJF cradles up Matt Jackson. I am not afraid to say I got worked. I thought, I thought MJF and Chris Jericho were going over in this. They went for the Melter Driver a second time, and Wardlow has the referee distracted. Chris Jericho takes a baseball bat and hits Nick Jackson right in the middle of the back with a baseball bat. And uh, MJF ends up giving Matt Jackson the heat seeker. I seriously thought, like, these guys just kept going for it and going for it. And they kept, MJF and Chris Jericho kept countering. I'm going, oh, holy shit, we're crowning new tag champs. Yeah, not so much. No, uh, match kept going. And again, this match was never boring. This didn't go too long. This didn't... There was this one spot I also thought was great where Jericho goes for the lion salt and in midair, he is seriously upside down. The Bucks double super kick him in midair. And I'm going, oh, fuck, that was awesome. Okay, there's one. I let that one slip. My fault. But I thought that was great. Finish this match. They finally hit the Melter Driver on Jericho. Bucks go over, retain the tag titles, and I was I was surprised. I got taken by surprise on this one. We then move on to the Casino Royale Tag Team Battle Royal. Winner gets a title shot at the Bucks, who we just saw retain the titles. And I must say this, folks, I hate Battle Royals. With a passion, I hate Battle Royals, as do most indie workers. That's, that, that's a thing. We hate Battle Royals. And here's why. I would love to find out how many workers have ever gotten to a show and knew there was going to be a battle royal ahead of time. This is something they tell us during the booking meeting. It usually sounds something like, all right, we've got so-and-so working so-and-so, give us eight to ten minutes, so-and-so is going over, uh, and then we got this guy working this guy, uh, give us about ten to twelve minutes, this guy's going over. Oh, by the way, guys, uh, battle royal at the end of the night, so nobody change after your match. This is where you hear a collective fuck coming from the locker room because we know we have to stay in our gear the rest of the night. Can't go out and get food. Can't go out and take a piss. Can't go out and do anything because we're stuck in our gear for the rest of the night because the promoter thought, hey, we should send these people home with a holy shit moment and, and we're just going to put everybody. It never works. This, this never works. I've never seen it get over. There was one time I actually threw myself out over the top, jumped the rail, sat in the front row with the with the fans. Because it was I was bored as shit and like, fuck it, I'm not winning this thing, so I'm gonna entertain myself. 
This one was actually pretty good, though. This was, okay, for one, this had 15 tag teams in it. There were 15 tag teams in this battle royal, and that wasn't all the tag teams AEW has to offer. When the Young Bucks said two years ago that we're bringing tag team wrestling back, they were not screwing around. Because by my count, there are like 19 tag teams under contract with AEW. 15 of them showed up in this match. But one thing I will say, holy shit, this match was fast. The action in this was nonstop. And here's why. I found this out. Here's why. If this match seemed like they were going a mile a minute, it's because they were. And I found out here's why. All right. Um, I, I don't want to break any fourth walls or anything, but uh, Royal Rumble, sending somebody out every two minutes, yeah, that's a work. That, that's a total work. Uh, they send people out whenever they send people out. That's, you know, so if, the, if two guys start off the Royal Rumble and then somebody else come, shows up two minutes later and then somebody else shows up out like two minutes and 15 seconds later, and then the next person shows up 93 seconds later. It's done on purpose. The whole two-minute interval thing, it's a total work. All right. When AEW says they're going to send out a new tag team in this casino battle royal every 90 seconds, not screwing around. They sent somebody out every 90 seconds, whether your spot was hit or not. So, yeah, that's why it seemed like this match was going just a mile a minute. Um, I'm not going to lie. I took no notes for the first like 80% of this match because I I could not keep up at all. I will tell you this. It did come down to Pac, Phoenix, John Silver, and Jungle Boy were the final four. And Silver, oh my god, Silver ends up on the apron. He ends up he gets thrown over the top, lands on the apron, he's standing on the apron. Phoenix jumps up on the top turnbuckle, does a tightrope walk, and just kicks John Silver right in the face. I'm talking just Ray Finkel, this poor bastard, right in the nose. Oh, my God. So, Silver's been eliminated. Pac gets low-bridged by Jungle Boy, so he's gone. Somehow, Jungle Boy ends up outside the ring. I think he fell. He obviously didn't go over the top. He falls under the bottom rope. And Ray Phoenix does this diving, this suicide dive under the top, over the middle rope. So, he went between the ropes, was not eliminated, but broke his ass when he hit the guardrail. He does this fantastic suicide dive, somersault, and his ass was the first thing to hit the guardrail, and I screamed. Absolutely screamed. All the referees are trying to say he just eliminated himself, and it was Aubrey Edwards who had to say, no, no, he went through the ropes. He's fine. He went through the ropes. And most people would ask, why would Ray Phoenix do a dive over the top rope in a battle royal? Well, I've seen this shit. I once saw a promoter tell a guy to do a dive over the top rope onto a pile of bodies in a battle royal. The guy's asking, why am I diving out of the battle royal and eliminating myself? Promoter says, because it'll look cool. No, it looks stupid and the crowd shit on it. That absolutely happened, people. I swear that happened. Not what Ray Phoenix did here, thank God. Like I said, he went through the ropes. Every referee thought he was eliminated. Aubrey Edwards had to come out and say, no, no, he went through the ropes, he's fine. But eventually they do end up back in the ring. 
And Phoenix does put Jungle Boy over the top rope, eliminates him. Pac and Jungle Boy, excuse me, Pac and Ray Phoenix win the tag team battle royal. They get a tag title shot against the Young Bucks at this at Dynamite this Wednesday. Next up, we have the women's title match with uh, Hikaru Shida versus Ryo Mizunami. This was a decent match. I will say these women laid into each other. Oh my god, this match... There was, I swear, there was like 37 Ds to the face, 55 elbows to the jaw. Like, you two know this is a work, right? And they kicked out of everything. Finally, Sheeta just hits her with a corkscrew knee right in the face. Finally beats uh, Ryo Mizunami. Like I said, this, might, this one probably went a little bit longer than it needed to. And as I say that, then there's a run-in by Nyla Rose and Maki Ito with a save by Thunder Rosa, and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's drag this match out as much as possible. I swore they went six minutes longer than they needed to, and we're going to stretch this out with a two-minute run-in and a beat-down on top of it. Holy shit. Next up, we have the big money match between Hangman Page and Matt Hardy. Uh, this match didn't include a 12-foot scaffolding, so um, no, nobody was going to die in this one. I was looking forward to it. There was this, okay, this was probably my favorite match psychology wise all night because at one point page throws a punch at matt they're outside the ring matt moves page ends up punching the ring post so matt hardy singled out the hand and just worked the hand the whole match this was great psychology despite the announcers trying to sell the the angle of well if he doesn't have his hand he can't use the buckshot lariat Tony Schiavone, you've been in this business 30 years. Have you ever hit, seen somebody hit a clothesline with their fist? Besides the ultimate wear. But from a psychology point of view, it was a really, it was a great story. And that's what they did. Matt just, Matt worked the hand. He stomped on it. He was, looked like he was trying to break the fingers. He bit the fingers, which I thought was funny as shit. Because I would have no, like, I don't have to punch a ring post for you to bite my hand and for me to go, ow, that fucking hurts. Like, you don't have to do that. But it was, like I said, from a psychology point of view, it was great. We had, of course, uh, Quint Cassidy and Quinn do a run-in, which necessitated the Dark Order, all 37 of them. They do a run-in. Finish this match, sees Matt Hardy knock Hangman Page off the apron. The Dark Order catches him and hold him up like the machines are holding up Neo at the end of Matrix Revolution. But they put him on the apron. He grabs the top rope, does the flip, hits the buckshot lariat, Pins Matt Hardy, and he wins the big money match, and we finally get the giant group hug between Hangman Page and the Dark Order, so Dark Order might have itself a new leader. Next up on the card, we have the Face of TNA ladder match, where you have to go up, climb the ladder, grab the brass ring, and it's literally a brass ring, folks. Well, actually, it looked like a, it looked like a golden hemorrhoid donut, but it's... You have to, there's a brass ring hanging above the ring, and you have to go up and grab it. Now, you cannot tell me that this was not a shot at Vince McMahon and the WWE, because we've heard so many, we've heard so many people refer to this imaginary brass ring that Vince McMahon has, so you cannot tell me this was not a fucking shot. Anyway, the uh, participants are Max Caster, Lance Armstrong, Lance Armstrong, Lance Archer, wow, Fuck you, autocorrect. Anyway, Penta El Cielo Miero. Yeah, my Spanish sucks. Fuck off. And Cody Rhodes, Scorpio Sky, and we have the addition of all-ego Ethan Page from TNA. 
this was, you know what? This was great. This was had your typical car crash spots. We had we saw a sick Canadian destroyer on a ladder bridge. Penta gave to Cody, which ends up getting Cody taken out of the match. All the uh, the doctors and the medical personnel come over. They tend to Cody, and they end up walking Cody out of the. So you know Cody's coming back. How many times do we have to see this? You know what? I would actually be shocked if somebody got taken out by medical personnel in the middle of a match and stayed out. That We haven't seen that since Elizabeth got taken out on Saturday night's main event. That's, yeah. I am going to say this. Scorpio Sky was a hero in this match. Scorpio looked great in this match. He took a knee to the face. And Lance Archer gave him a knee to the face. He flies off the top rope and through a ladder bridge. He was awesome. And, of course, Cody's got to do the Mick Foley get off the gurney and come back and fight spot. So he does his return. He then takes an elbow. Max Caster goes up on top of this 20-foot ladder. Cody is on the mat. He's on all fours. Max Caster jumps off, drops this amazing elbow right to Cody's spine. This elbow would have crippled Jean-Claude Van Damme's brother in Kickboxer. That's, that's how awesome this elbow drop was. Uh, we got to see Jake get in, and Jake does that short clothesline. I popped. I really popped. But there was so much trash in the ring. There was so many broken ladders and dead bodies. I'm like, if Jake does a DDT, he's going to die. I'm going to watch the death of Jake the Snake right here. Didn't happen. Penta kicks him right in the face. Jake doesn't bump as much as he just crumbles and rolls out of the ring, thank God. This match ends with Scorpio Sky and Cody Rhodes on top of the ladder, battling it out. Scorpio gets the best of him, pushes Cody off, reaches up, and grabs the hemorrhoid donuts for the next shot at the TNT title. Next up is our first lesson in manager expectations. Paul White joined AEW two weeks ago. Last week, he said that there's a huge signing on AEW Revolution, and he's going to let the cat out of the bag. He's going to tell you who it is. It is a Hall of Fame caliber talent and he's going to announce it at Revolution. Now, everybody, the internet, the wrestling internet, was fucking nuts. They went nuts. Who could it be? It's John Cena. It's Hulk Hogan. It's got to be CM Punk, right? I fell for it. I absolutely fell for it because I said Brock Lesnar. Let me explain. Now, I did say, I did say that if it wasn't, if I was wrong, I, we weren't going to bring it up. No, I'm going to talk about this shit because here's why I said Lesnar. All of the names everyone was throwing around, CM Punk, maybe, possibly, he did just go on Renee Young's podcast and say for the right amount of money and the right storyline, he would go to AEW, maybe. John Cena, no way in hell. No way in hell you were going to see John Cena on an AEW pay-per-view. Brock Lesnar. All right, so here's where, here's where I said Brock Lesnar, because Brock does not currently have a contract with WWE, and... The, the Khan family, Tony Khan, can afford him. You can absolutely afford him. Will you get your return on your investment? Probably not. But you can afford him. And if you want to make a huge splash, it's going to be Brock Lesnar. Here's where I screwed up. Brock has a history. Brock is famous for when his WWE contract would come up, he would tell Dana White, hey, you know, my contract's coming up. And for this much money, you can have me back. And Dana was like, all right, cool. So then Brock would go back to Vince and say, hey, you know, Dana's offering me this much money. Uh, if you can top it, I'm yours. And Vince said, God damn it, that you got it. 
So then Brock would go back to Dana and he would keep ping ponging these two fuckers back against each other until Brock made the most money possible, which is brilliant. But it's also public as shit. There is no way Tony Khan offered him a certain amount of money. He doesn't go to Vince McMahon and say, you know, AEW is offering me this. Vince counters it. Brock goes back to AEW. Yeah, there's no way that happens without it being all over the the dirt sheet. So I didn't realize this time, not fucking Brock Lesnar. And as I uh, as I kind of hinted to earlier, your huge Hall of Fame caliber signing was Christian Cage. Wah, wah, wah. Now, Christian Cage is a fantastic talent. He is an amazing worker. He's one of those people that nobody's going to say a bad thing about. But you overhyped it. You overhyped it, and you said a huge Hall of Fame caliber talent. Do you really think he's going in the Hall of Fame after this shit, folks? Not for a while. Not, not. He just made, he just made his return at the Royal Rumble. And a month later, he's working for the competition. This dude's not going in the Hall of Fame for at least two or three years. Let's, let's be honest, okay? Uh, now he, again, great worker, fantastic talent, deserves everything he's going to get with AEW. But he's not huge. This is not huge news. It's, let's, let's be honest, okay? I'm not saying I'm not happy for the guy. I'm not saying that I don't wish him, you know, all the best. And I'm, I'm sure we're getting a bunch of people, you know, especially a bunch of WWE fans are talking shit who are just like, Christian, really? That's your big news? I'm just going to point this out. All you shitheads were popping for him when he showed up at the Royal Rumble. So don't sit here and start talking shit because he's working for AEW now. Shut up. Next up is the street fight between Sting, Darby Allin, Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks. This was exactly what it needed to be. This was a cinematic style match. You didn't have Sting work in a full match. This, this was really good. I was really entertained by it. I did. I did pop a little bit for uh, Brian, uh, Brian Cage's Swolverine shirt. I thought that was <laughs> great. Uh, I, I screamed when Darby Allen did a coffin drop out of a th- third story window under Brian Cage, like, holy shit. But there were weapons. There were fighting in a abandoned refinery or whatever the hell it was. I love the fact that it was a ring set up. It was a street fight, but we had a ring set up. I thought that was hysterical. Uh, in the end, Sting hits the uh, Scorpion death drop on uh, Starks. On Ricky Starks and uh, Sting and Darby Allen go over. So um, it was good. I liked it. Our main event of the evening and our final lesson in managing expectations is the exploding barbed wire death match. Holy shit, there were a shit ton of rules to this thing. All right. But here's, here's the one that's important. There are bombs set on three, three sides of the ring. So if you hit the ropes, bombs go off. There's also... Barbed wire landmines outside. Now, playing kind of fast and loose with the term landmine. I do realize this. And the final rule was that the when the match started, there was a timer on the bombs. And at the 30-minute mark, these bombs were going off. And here's my favorite rule. Anybody who survives the bombs going off will be declared the winner. Really? That, okay, you see how you're swinging for the fences already? Okay, don't get ahead of yourself. This was a great match. 
It was a great match. Moxley and Omega, oh my god, this was fantastic. They worked the barbed wire. They teased the barbed wire almost from the beginning. All right, I'm going to say this. I'm not a deathmatch guy. I'm just not. All right? I don't see the psychology. I don't see the storytelling. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying it's very rare in the death matches I've watched. And this is basically violence for the sake of violence. If that's what you're into, cool. Go for it. You don't need me to like it for you to like it. All right? I'm just going to put that out there. Quick example. I saw clips from this uh, death match couple of weeks ago and you have schmuck number one who is laid out on a table inside the ring schmuck number two is on the top rope schmuck number two on the top rope has an elbow pad that apparently is soaked in alcohol or gasoline or some bullshit lights the elbow pad on fire jumps off the top rope dropping a flaming elbow drop through schmuck number one and putting him through the table schmuck number one who just had a flaming elbow drop land on him, he jumps up first, and then they just keep going. Now, let me ask you this. If you just risk second and third degree burns on your elbow by lighting your elbow pad on fire and dropping an elbow on this schmuck, putting him through two tables, doesn't he kind of make you look like shit if he just pops up immediately and no-sells your elbow drop? See, this is the shit I don't get with death matches. I really don't. Again... If it's your style, if you guys like it, cool. You don't need me to like it for you to like it. That being said, this match was pretty damn good. Because they teased the barbed wire. They worked the, the landmines. They, they built the anticipation. They immediately tried to put each other face first into that barbed wire. So when Moxley goes into that barbed wire like five, six minutes into the match, and that then those bombs go off... The crowd pops huge. See, because they didn't just start beating the shit out of each other. They built to it. They built that anticipation. It's, it's foreplay. All right. So when you finally hit that moment, there's a big reaction. All right. Moxley hits the bombs first. These guys just kept going. Worked the shit out of it. At one point, Omega is going to put a figure four on Moxley. And Moxley kicks him off face first into the second set of bombs. And the crowd popped even bigger because the baby face hit the bombs first. And now the heel is getting what he deserves by being sent into the bombs himself. All right. That was fantastic. It was great. Didn't stay that way, though. No, no, it didn't. At one point, Moxley's about to do a, uh, a paradigm shift, a death rider off the apron onto the quote unquote barbed wire landmines. Omega takes this Death Rider onto a board, barbed wire, and you just see two just, just, yeah, that there wasn't a whole lot of landminding that went on there. So, finish of the match sees the Good Brothers run in. They're triple teaming Omega. Oh, wait, no, I forgot the third one. The third one was great because Omega picks Moxley up in a one-winged angel, drops him on his head, and he covers him. And I'm thinking, wait, hold on. We still, we're still 10 minutes away from these bombs going off. You're not going to end the match now, right? See, because you've promised that this ring is going to blow up at the 30-minute mark. But we've also built up the fact that nobody's ever kicked out of the one-winged angel. So right now, one of these is about to be ruined. I was wrong. I was totally wrong, because what Moxley does, he gets his foot on the rope, 
which triggers the third set of bombs going off right in Omega's face. And technically, no one has still kicked out of the out of the one winged angel, but this match keeps going. So, like I said, we get uh, the Good Brothers do a run in, three on one. It is Gallows, Anderson, and Omega triple teaming John Moxley, beating the crap out of him. They rigged up a barbed wire exploding baseball bat that they hit Moxley right in the face with. One winged angel, Omega pins Moxley. This match is over. I'm going oh. So, wait, so we're not blowing up the ring? Now, we've got Don Callis on commentary, and he's being just a fantastic, just shit, just fucking shitty heel. He's being great. He's talking shit. He's making fun of Moxley. But then he's telling he's telling him over the commentary, uh, over the microphones, like, hey, guys, um, uh, we, there's no way to stop the bombs. We, we got like three more minutes until the, the bombs go off. We didn't think far enough ahead to put an off switch on the bombs. This seems like a flaw in logic. This, you guys didn't think this out at all. So one way or the other, these bombs were fucking going off. All right. So they beat the shit out of, uh, out of Moxley for like another three and a half minutes. We get a 60 second countdown and it's just counting down from 59, 58, 57. And the more this timer goes off, the more Don Callis is like, guys, guys, um, we get out of the ring. He did have this great line. I thought it was awesome. So we have Excalibur, Jim Ross, and Tony Schiavone also at the announce desk. And Callis goes, hey, uh, uh, I'm going to move back here real quick. Oh, you guys are fine where you're at. You stay right there, but I'm going to move back. I thought that was funny. We then get down to the 10-second mark. The Good Brothers and Omega are leaving. Here comes Eddie Kingston, who comes running into the ring to make the save. He's pleading with Omega, like, get him out of the ring. He dives in the ring. He's trying to get, oh, I forgot, Moxley's handcuffed. They handcuff Moxley. So Kingston's trying to like wake him up. He's trying to get him out of the ring. And then all of a sudden we start counting down from five, four and Kingston just throws himself over Moxley to shield him from the bombs. And that's when we get. Take cover. Take cover. Get him out. Nothing happened. Nothing. We got some sparklers. We got some popping. We got you promised us Hiroshima and we got party poppers at a quinceanera. That's that's what we got. Oh, my God. This was. Oh, manage your expectations, folks. That's that's what I'm saying here. This was you built this up. If you had ended the match when Omega pin Moxley, it would have been fine. But you had to keep going. Yeah, that happened. So from there, we go to Monday Night Raw for Monday, March 8th, 2021. And it looks like we're going to start this exactly where we left last week with a WWE title match between Bobby Lashley and The Miz. This time, though, Bobby's a champ. Miz is the challenger. And it ended the exact same way. The only difference is this match was a lot longer. Lashley comes out with his brand new intro and he destroyed the Miz. He humbled this bastard. Just here you go, bro. Here's your ass. I'm handing it back to you. So same result as last week. Miz taps out to the hurt lock and we are done. We then get a promo from Drew, who's basically saying, I beat Brock Lesnar. You beat the Miz. Where's your heart? Where's your passion? And he gets jumped by Sheamus. And Sheamus beats his ass. So we are getting we are getting Sheamus and Drew at Fastlane, if I had to guess. 
We then go to commercial and we come back with a Rhea Ripley vignette. Anyone else notice that Rhea just fucking disappeared right after Royal Rumble? Just totally went MIA. So hopefully they have good things planned for her, but I doubt it. We come back from commercial and we're being told that Braun Strowman is headed to the ring and he's demanding an apology from Shane McMahon. And Braun gets in the ring and he cuts his promo about, I think you're making fun of me, which is something stupid people say when they're not entirely sure if they're being made fun of. Shane comes out, grabs a microphone, just looks at him and says, I apologize. And walks out of the ring. And the look of just utter confusion on Braun Strowman's face. If you tried to explain quantum physics to a monkey, this is the look that that, that monkey would have on its face. It really, it, yeah. We then get the announcement that we are getting Drew and Sheamus in a no-holes-barred match. Again, I'm going to repeat from last week. Uh, pay-per-view quality match. We've now gotten it on TV two weeks for free. And this week did not disappoint. These guys, you know what? I think these guys work great together because they are not afraid to lay their shit in. These guys work stiff as shit with each other. And I want to say, was it Samoa Joe? I think it was Samoa Joe who said that I think the longer this goes, the more aggressive Drew McIntyre gets. Well, great, great, Joe. You just described the Incredible Hulk. That awesome. That's just awesome. These guys, there were chair spots. There were, I have no idea why Drew McIntyre got rammed into the post twice in like a 15 second time period. But yeah, that happened. And this match ends with referee actually has to stop the fight. It stops the match because both Drew McIntyre and Sheamus grab a set of steel steps. They run at each other with the steps. The steps collide with each other, which then goes back into each wrestler's face. Drew gets sent over the guardrail into the fake crowd. Sheamus takes a bump outside the ring and the steel steps land right on his damn face. So referee stops the match. He says, I need medical attention. We get seven referees and Jamie Noble. So unless Jamie Noble went back and got his medical license, I, yeah, I think they got screwed on this one. But really good fight. And there were no bombs that took a shit at the end of the match. From here, we get a match with Xavier Woods of New Day versus Shelton Benjamin of the Hurt Business. I will say New Day comes out and they have the awesome new uh, Mortal Kombat Sub-Zero and Scorpion ring gear. That's, that's awesome. I want to get to the point where I can just make geeky ring gear just because I have the money. That's the position I want to be in. But before the match even starts, they announce that next week we have a tag title match between the New Day and the Hurt Business. So what the hell is the point of this match? So you're telling me that New Day can lose this match and they're still getting a tag match next week? That's stupid. Now, if you had announced the tag title match after the singles match between Woods and, and Shelton, that would make more sense. But no, we're WWE. We don't book to make sense. That's fucking stupid. This match ends. Xavier Woods cradles uh, Shelton Benjamin. One, two, three, gets the win. So I guess it doesn't matter. We then go to a backstage promo with Matt Riddle, who has become just, oh my God, he's become annoying. And it's not his fault. It's just that creative thinks that anybody that smokes weed talks like Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So it's not Riddle's fault, but son of a bitch. WWE apparently felt that we needed a Shane McMahon, Braun Strowman part two segment. 
this was painful. This was fucking painful because Shane McMahon just kept, he just kept him hawing around and he kept just, he didn't, I have no idea what he said other than the call Braun stupid. I'm not sure which is more stupid. Putting a, putting two segments in a show to call someone stupid or the fans that just hung around and we all watched this bullshit. We then have a women's tag title match between Jackson Baszler, Lana, and Naomi. The only thing notable in this match is that Reginald, the sommelier, is now with Nia Jax. So we have the Samoan and the sommelier. All right. Yay. Fucking awesome. Your main event of the evening was AJ Styles versus Randy Orton because they got into a argument in a promo earlier because Randy's being haunted by Alexa Bliss, who is the disembodied spirit of Bray Wyatt, who Randy Orton set on fire. I'm already fucking lost. But here's... Okay, so... This is the part the most confusing. Wasn't Randy Orton the babyface in the whole Alexa Bliss, Bray, Bray Wyatt thing? So did Randy do a heel turn? Because AJ's a heel, which would make this a heel versus heel match. But at the same time, Randy set the, set the fiend on fire. I got nothing. Anyway, really good match because these two are amazingly talented. Comes to an end when Alexa shows up on the Titantron, of course. Shocking. She lights a match and then blows it out and Kane's pyro goes off. But only three of the four ring posts ignited. Which tells me pyro guys are having a bad week all the way around. That's, that's what it tells me. Randy starts spitting up the black goo, Papa Shango ooze, whatever the hell it is. AJ hits the phenomenal forearm. AJ goes over, one, two, three, and that is raw. We then move to Impact for Tuesday, March 9th. Uh, now, again, I don't normally watch Impact, but like I said, I'm going to try and cram 11 hours of wrestling into a one-hour podcast because I'm an idiot. Now, this is Impact's go-home show because they have the Sacrifice pay-per-view this Saturday, so check that out. We opened with... Jazz with Jordan Grace in her corner against Tasha Steele with Kira Hogan in her corner. And this is setting up the women's tag team championship match this weekend with Tasha Steele and Kira Hogan being the champion. Uh, You know what? I totally forgot Jazz was working Impact. I completely forgot about it. Jazz, uh, ECW alumni, WWE alumni. I worked a couple shows with her in San Francisco like 12 years ago. She's fucking cool to be on a show with. But she's adopted a totally new look. She's shaved her head. She's come to the ring in a sleeveless jumpsuit. She looks like Debo. Rest in peace, Tiny Zeus Lister. This one actually told a really good story because if you are not a regular to Impact, I had no idea who was babyface, who was heel. Uh, I know Jazz is the veteran. So I'm sure Jazz was calling the shots and everything. And this one did a really good job of letting me know, like, hey, Steels and Hogan are the heels. They're the ones defending their titles this weekend. So um, I'm looking forward to that. Like I said, really good. Jazz goes over, giving the challenger some momentum going into the going into the pay-per-view this weekend. We then go to a promo with ODB, who I've always loved. I always loved ODB when she was uh, when I was watching Impact like 10 years ago. And she's coming up. I don't know who the interviewer is because they don't do anything to identify her. But she's drinking. She's got her flask. She's talking about she's going to kick uh, Deanna Perrazzo's ass this weekend. 
takes a shot from her flask and then asks the interviewer, you want some? Interviewer goes, no, I'm at work. To which ODB replies, yeah, so am I. Bang! I thought it was funny. We then head to a really fun tag match between Ajit Raju and Mahabali Shira against the team of Chris Sabin and James Storm. Now, you talk about Impact Originals. Well, maybe not Originals, but they are definitely, when you think of Impact, you think of uh, Sabin and Storm, which I love because one thing I learned is Chris Sabin is the wrestling Paul Rudd. This fucker has not aged in like 20 years. He seriously looks like he did back in like 2005. They do the... uh, Impact still has its little, like, WWE light moments. For example, the Babyface team is getting their shine. They're looking really good. And then all of a sudden, they go to commercial. And we come back, and the heels have taken over. Like, what the fuck? Okay, the point of the cutoff and the point of the heat is to make the fans give a shit. How can we give a shit if they're a commercial? The second one was you have the team of Shira and Raju. They don't get along. Well, then why the fuck are you a tag team? WWE does this shit all the time. Why do you have a tag team that hates each other? They don't get along. Like, half their teams are like that. So the finish sees Saban outside the ring on the apron. He does an outside-in sunset flip on Raju, spins him through, Storm catches him with a backcracker, and Saban picks him up. Future Shock, one, two, three. Really good showing by Saban and Storm. We then immediately get a an Impact Plus moment, which is a flashback t- back to 2010, where you have a triple threat match for the tag team titles with the Dudleys. You had Mo- uh, Motor City Machine Gun, which is Chris Saban and Alex Shelley, and Beer Money, which is Bobby Roode and James Storm. So you're watching two of the guys that we just watched 11 years ago. I dig this because Impact at least uh, gives the fans a nod to their history. Not like WWE, which is just rewriting this shit all the time, or we're going to forget it all together. So, oh, there's something there's something Impact does that I, I really dig. It was at this moment that I remembered why I stopped watching Impact like eight years ago. We get three talking segments, a commercial, come back to a match between two guys I have no idea who they are, and then two more fucking talking segments. Holy shit. Next up, we had a really good X Division match between Ace Austin and uh, Chris Bay. You know what? This is something I did miss from Impact. Impact had a great X Division that they never focused on when they should have. They just kept signing old WWE guys and focusing on them instead of building their X Division when they had Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, Frankie Kazarian, Samoa Joe, Chris Saban, Eric Young. Like, they had a great X Division and they didn't focus on them. So, hopefully, they're doing a better job now. These guys are killing it. These guys were great, and the match ends when uh, Impact X Division champ TJP comes out, and he's got a steel chair. He just sits on the ramp, and he distracts the heels. I know I complained about this before with baby faces getting distracted by either somebody's music or somebody standing on the ramp 50 feet away. It's okay to do this with the heels. Make the heel look like an ass. That's fine, but when you do it to your baby face... It fucking kills her drawing power. Anyway, Chris Bay hits a Cody Cutter on Austin Ace. Pretty sure it's not what Bay calls it. And he gets the pin 1-2-3, leading into Sacrifice this weekend. Guess what happens next? Another fucking talking segment. And now, your main event of the evening. Would you like to take a guess? Yep, 
Another talking segment. We have Moose in the ring with the TNA World Heavyweight title belt that apparently he found in a prop locker. He's not really a champion, but he's going to walk around with the belt. Well, this Saturday, he wrestles Rich Swan for the Impact Heavyweight title. They're calling a unification match, but one guy's not a champion. He's walking around with a replica belt. Anyway, the big announcement is this is going to be title versus title, and the winner of this match goes on to Rebellion in April, and they get the honor of losing to Kenny Omega. So that was your big talking segment main event. Title versus title, setting up another title versus title match against Kenny Omega at uh, the Rebellion pay-per-view in April. Fucking impact in its talking segments. This is why I stopped watching. So from there, we move on to the Wednesday Night Wars. Uh, you know what? Let's go ahead and start with AEW, because this is going to be really fun. AEW Dynamite for Wednesday, March 10th, and this is the fallout from Revolution and... Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom! Yeah, I stole the joke. I don't give a fuck. It's not like I'm Carlos Mencia up in this bitch. Anyway, we start off with uh, Ray Phoenix with Pac in his corner against Matt Jackson with Nick in his corner. And if you watch the pay-per-view, you saw that Pac and Phoenix won the Casino Battle Royal. So they are going to be uh, the number one contender. Actually, not the number one contenders. They get the next shot at the tag team titles. We got a shot of the number one contenders, Kazarian and Daniels, just chilling in the stands. Just, hey, yeah, we're number one contenders, but screw it. Let these guys go first, I guess. This is a really fun match. This is, any, okay, anytime you get Matt Jackson and Ray Phoenix in the ring, this is going to be badass. There was a double Canadian Destroyer spot that I thought was fucking insane. Phoenix is inside the ring. Matt Jackson's on the apron. Matt comes over the top with a sunset flip, or, well, attempting a sunset flip into a Canadian Destroyer. Phoenix rolls out of the ring, so Matt goes back after him and hits him with another one outside. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. I thought the timing on it was really good. The only part that bugged me was Phoenix is outside, and he's a corpse. He's dead. He's not moving. The guy just got dropped on his goddamn head twice. And the referee's counting, and he's up to seven. He's up to eight. And then right at nine, Pac gets down right in front of Phoenix, slaps the mat like three times, brings him back to life, and Phoenix dives back into the ring. That was kind of cheesy. But there was this really great spot in the match where... Matt Jackson goes to throw Phoenix out of the ring. He does a 619 back into the ring, goes for a kick. Matt ducks it, hits him with a super kick. Phoenix takes a bump, kips back up, hits him with an enziguri. Great double down spot right there. I thought that was fun too. Finish of this match sees Phoenix take Matt Jackson up on the shoulders, hits him with basically a Rikishi driver, covers him, pins him 1-2-3, which... We've already established that Pac and Phoenix won the Battle Royal. They get the next title shot at the Tag Champs. So, great. You just put the challengers over the champion. You send the champion. You send the challengers into that match with some momentum. I thought it was really good booking. And it's one of those little things that gets overlooked nowadays. We then go to another talking segment. Um, this one I didn't mind. I don't mind because it's Moxley and it's uh, Eddie Kingston. They are explaining... All right, so here's the biggest criticism that I've seen over the last few days. The bomb didn't go off, folks. The bomb, anybody who didn't uh, watch the pay-per-view, spoiler alert, fucking bomb didn't go off. 
So fans have lost their shit. And of course, you have all these WWE fucking diehards who are like, see, AEW sucks. You guys promised the ring would blow up and the ring didn't blow up. Yeah, well, Miz was your champion 10 days ago, so shut up. But they explained it. So here's what happened. Real life, here's what happened. They had a big pyro display, and guess what? Didn't work. Shit didn't happen. So you have these internet fucktards who are, well, why did, why did Kingston sell it if the bomb didn't go off? Because that's what was supposed to happen. The bomb was supposed to go off, so Kenny, uh, Eddie sold it. That's, that's what happens. He did his job. Shut up. So this promo explains that Eddie says he went out there and his anxiety level was so high, he flashed back to the last time he had this much anxiety, which was he was in jail, and he had the guards fucking with him, as prison guards tend to do. Half my family's law enforcement, most of them are prison guards. I get it. And they're telling him, like, we're sending you to Rikers, boy. We're sending you to Sing Sing, boy. And his anxiety got so high, he passed out. So basically, he's selling a PTSD storyline totally plausible completely plausible and you have moxley coming out saying you know oh you you know eddie came out to help me and and you know you could have come out a little sooner get my ass beat for 18 minutes which i thought was funny as hell and he's like yeah you know you're, you're sitting there putting lines in your in your uh, eyebrows and making sure you got your tims on and and eddie's like you know i gotta look good on uh, pay-per-view b i thought this was funny as shit but they did a great job of explaining that the bomb didn't go off They took the heat off the bomb. The greatest line was Eddie Kingston going, you know, Impact paid for that bomb, right? I died. I laughed my ass off. We then have a match between Cody Rhodes and Iron Mike Sharp's kid. I have no idea who the fuck this was. But Cody beat him in like two minutes, figure four, and he's done. Goes to cut a promo about his injured shoulder and... We get an interruption from Penta, who was at the Spanish announce table, which is in the crowd. All right, I gotta say this. The Mexicans at AEW, much smarter than the Mexicans at WWE, because they're like, fuck that shit. Move the Spanish announce table, put it up in the stands. Don't put that shit at ringside. Bullshit. So that ends up in a big pull apart. That was cool. We then go to commercial. We come back with Sting, and they are covering the street fight from the pay-per-view when they get interrupted, because you can't have a promo without somebody interrupting, Lance Archer comes out, and I, I don't know, meatheads are going to meathead, I, I guess, because he just comes out, cuts a promo, and things like, yeah, screw it, and then he walks to the back. We get a match from All Ego Ethan Page, the new signee from this weekend, not the major signee, but the new signee from this weekend, against Lee Johnson with QT Marshall. This is a squash. Lee's, Lee Johnson just got his ass handed to him, during the match, got his ass handed to him after the match. QT's like, screw this, walked out, setting up a heel turn for QT Marshall. We then get another talkie segment. God, this week is fucking rife with talkie segments. We get an interview with, it was supposed to be with Christian Cage, but Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers and Don Callis interrupt. And they they do their damage control, their spin on whether they wanted the bomb to go off. And they said, maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. We don't know. But they start talking shit about Eddie Kingston, who comes out, and they start talking shit to his face. Callis said, I hired you in TNA, Impact, whatever it was. I don't remember saying Eddie Kingston, so this might have been the eight-year vacation I took from watching Impact. And he said, but we fired you because you suck. And Kenny starts talking shit, and he starts talking like, hey, you want to hit me, don't you? You know you want to hit me, so freaking hit me. 
So Eddie hit him and Eddie knocked him the fuck out. <laughs> Good brothers jump on him. Moxley does a run in. And then we get Christian Cage who just strolls down to the ring like Jason Bourne. I thought that was cool as shit. He just walked in with a swagger. I did get a chuckle at the fact that as he's getting the ring, I just noticed there's a ton of shoes all over the ring. Like apparently these guys, like, apparently Moxley and Kingston and the Good Brothers fought out of their shoes because there's just shoes all over the inside of the ring. And there's a face-off between Omega and Christian. They get, Kenny tries to offer him the handshake. There's a tussle. He goes to hit a kill switch, but Don Callis pulls him out of the ring. So looks like that is going to be uh, Christian Cage's first feud is immediately jumping into the title picture against Kenny Omega. So you know what? Those matches are going to be awesome. I will say that. Next up, we have a six-woman tag. On one side, we have Thunder Rosa, Hikaru Shida, and Ryo Mizunami. On the other side, we have Britt Baker, Nyla Rose, and Maki Ito, the human hentai video. And if you got that reference, you're a sick fuck. You know what? I've been hearing some criticism that Maki Ito needs some ring work. She needs some she needs some work on her ring work. And yeah, yeah, she does. Because she comes out singing. There's a fight in the ring, and she's singing. Hikaru Shida goes and get Maki, and Maki hits her with the lightest microphone shots, just kind of tapping her on the forehead like nothing. They look really bad. I didn't catch a whole lot of this match. I did catch the finish. Maki Ito goes for like a running crossbody on Thunder Rosa. Rosa catches her, inverts it into an air raid crash, gets the pin, one, two, three, and then Britt Baker just... Okay, so they're telling this story that Rebel is injured, she's got a crutch... Britt comes in and just wraps that crutch around uh, Thunder Rosa's back and then starts laying in the shots. Like, I'm sure the shots were supposed to be across the lower back, but she's hitting uh, Thunder Rosa in the ass with the crutch. A little bit off. Anyway, we have a pre-tape segment with Matt Hardy and Private Party where he they are kind of going over their loss from Revolution and Matt Hardy says, I need to bring more money in. I lost my first quarter earnings to Hangman Page. I need to bring more money in. So I've signed the Butcher, the Blade, and the Bunny. You know what? AEW is putting together a shitload of factions. This is like ROH mid-2000s where like there were like everybody was part of a faction. And yeah, AEW might be falling into that trap where there's just... You've got Kenny Omega and his faction. You have... You now have Matt Hardy and his faction. You now have the Dark Order. You have FTR, Tully Blanchard, and Sean Spears. Like, there's got a shitload of factions in here. All right. Calm the fuck down, folks. We then had an absolutely great match between TNT champion Darby Allen and Scorpio Sky. And are you guys listening to uh, the Talk is Jericho podcast? I listened to it last week. I laughed my ass off because it had MGF on there. And they were doing like a word association where Jericho would throw out an AEW superstar and MJF would say the first thing that came to mind. Jericho says Darby Allen. MJF says school shooter. Laughed my ass off. I, I'm at work too. I was at work when I was listening to this and I fucking laughed my ass off. But this is a great match. It was really good because one thing I'm really enjoying about AEW is they pay off stipulations. 
Scorpio Sky won the face of the face of the Revolution ladder match last uh, uh, last Sunday at the pay per view, so he gets a title shot for the TNT title here on Dynamite. And I do enjoy the fact that they don't treat us like we're stupid. They give us again Pac and Pac and uh, Ray Phoenix won their battle royal, so they get a shot at the tag team titles. We are we are actually treated like the fans know what the fuck is going on here, and I'm I'm really enjoying that. Anyway, we have Darby Allen and Scorpio Sky. Holy shit, Darby Allen can take an ass whooping. Oh my god, he can take an ass whooping. He goes for a suicide dive on Scorpio outside the ring, and Scorpio catches him with a cutter. Just face first on the ground. Holy shit. There's a spot in the ring where Scorpio does a German suplex and the back of Darby's head just right into the turnbuckle. Darby can take an ass whooping. I'm going to keep saying it. Oh my God. The match ends kind of a flash pin. It's really cool because Scorpio goes for a TKO. He's got uh, Darby up on his shoulders, throws him up in the air. Darby in midair adjusts, catches him in a small package. One, two, three, and Darby retains the TNT title. So really good match, really good finish. And then we had Scorpio Sky's heel turn where uh, Darby injured his ankle in the, in the match, and they were kind of working on it. Scorpio just jumps him, puts him in a heel hook, and now we have a heel Scorpio Sky. So I thought that's kind of cool. Where's he going to, like, what's his role in SCU now? Is he out of SCU? Because SCU's babyface. So I don't know. I guess we'll see that as it goes on. And your main event, another talking segment. All right, let me, let me, I keep saying that, but let me establish the rules here. If your talking segment sets up an angle down the road, I'm fine with it. If it's a talkie segment just to have a talkie out there, no, it, it's a pain in the ass. This set up an angle. So we had we had the uh, Inner Circle War Council, MJF, Chris Jericho, Proud and Powerful, and Jake Hager. They're about to kick, MJF basically saying, you know, we're kicking Jericho out of the inner circle. When Sammy Guevara makes his return, he quit, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago? He makes his return, and hey, Chris, I need you to see this. He set up a camera in the locker room, which is just creepy. Why is Sammy Guevara setting up a camera where he knows people dress and undress? That's, all right, that's a, bro, didn't you already get, never mind, I'm not going (laughs) to. I'm not going to go into the Sasha Banks comments. Never mind. Anyway, uh, he sets up the camera. He comes out. He tells Jericho. He says, hey, you need to watch this. And it's MJF telling Ortiz, Santana, and Hager, hey, we need to kick uh, kick Jericho out. We need to give him a dirt nap. He plays the video for Jericho. MJF says, hey, well, sorry you had to find out this way, but hey, guys, get him. And we had the fake horseman beatdown. We have Santana, Ortiz, and Hager creeping up on Jericho and Guevara, and then all of a sudden they all turn, face MGF, and now it's like, okay, so we see MJF is about to get his ass kicked, he's crying, like, no, no, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, I wasn't trying to take over the inner circle, and then he stops and says, I was trying to put together my own. Lights go out, they come back on, and we have the aforementioned FTR, Sean Spears, and Tully Blanchard, along with Wardlow. So we have another faction in AEW. How did I forget the Inner Circle? I was running down the roster of factions earlier, and I forgot the Inner Circle. My bad. All right. Anyway, 
So then we have an old school beatdown on the inner circle, leaves them laying, handcuffs Santana and Ortiz, and again, I'm going to keep asking, why is it pro wrestling is the only place where you can find handcuffs with like three feet of chain in between the in between the cuffs? Why is that? I've my again, half my family's law enforcement, I have never seen handcuffs with more than like three or four links in between. Kick the shit out of Hager, curb stomp Sammy Guevara into a steel chair, handcuff Santana Ortiz, give him double stuff pile drivers, and then powerbomb Chris Jericho off the stage through a table. This was this was good. I really like this. I thought this was really good. So we'll see where this goes. We then had NXT for Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. And they were advertising two game-changing announcements from, from Commissioner Regal. What have, what's been the theme? What, what have we said about managing expectations? Um, these announcements, no, they, they did not change the game. Game, still the same. The first announcement was that NXT will be a two-night event. NXT TakeOver, WrestleMania week, will be a two-night event. I just realized I do the Week in Wrestling podcast and NXT. WrestleMania week is going to suck. I, I'm just going to say that right off the bat because you're going to have Raw on Raw on Monday. You're going to have the Hall of Fame on Tuesday. You're going to have NXT on Wednesday and Thursday. SmackDown on Friday. WrestleMania Saturday, Sunday. You're then going to have Raw on Monday. And NXT moves to Tuesday after. Holy shit. All right, folks, I'm I'm seriously have to rethink the format of the show. <laughs> I'm two weeks in. I'm like, we got to change this shit up. But that was the first announcement that NXT will be NXT Takeover will be a two night event. Yeah, doesn't change the game. Game remains the same. Your second announcement was that because uh, Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler almost literally killed Dakota Kai and uh, Raquel Gonzalez last week. They created new new tag team titles, new NXT women's tag team titles. And the story they're trying to tell us is that it was a controversial finish. No, it wasn't. I I watched Dakota Kai die in the middle of the ring and a referee had to save her life. There's no controversy. I, I saw that. So but the story they're trying to tell is that it's a controversial finish. So we're going to create our own women's tag team titles. What I'm seeing on TV is that. A women's tag team from NXT got embarrassed, got their asses beat, so they just made their own titles. That That's what I saw. Anyway, I do love how this show starts, and you you have advertised an NXT heavyweight championship match tonight and an NXT women's championship match tonight. And we start with all four champions getting to the building. We see Finn, Finn Balor getting out of his car, his fancy leather jacket, we see Adam Cole, who apparently drives around Florida dressed like Larry the Cable Guy. Just a sleeveless t-shirt, doesn't give a fuck. Same thing, Tony Storm comes in, leather jacket, leather hat, looking like a rock star. Yoshirai shows up, dressed very nice. So apparently Adam Cole says, I'm Adam Cole, baby. Fuck you, I don't give a shit. We first get the NXT women's title match, Yoshirai versus Tony Storm. With Tom Caster as referee... And one of my career highlights is always going to be the fact that I popped uh, Tom Caster in the, in the middle of a match. Just fucking with him until I got him to laugh. Tom's cool as shit, but he's super professional. 
And the fact that I got him to laugh in the middle of a match, I'm, I'm calling that a career highlight. Anyway, this match was actually really good. I don't know why he's what actually there. Both women are incredibly talented. Tony Storm, Io Shirai. There were very subtle uh, gems of psychology in this match that I loved. The fact when Tony Storm comes off the rope, she goes for a boot, and Yoshirai does the Matrix. Uh, she avoids it with that Matrix backbend. And then later on in the match, Tony Storm comes off with a clothesline. Yoshirai goes for that same backbend to avoid the clothesline. And Tony goes, no, fuck you, not again. Just drops the elbow in the middle of her ribs. Subtle little stuff like that where something is used in a match. It doesn't work out the first time, and then you come back to it later. I love those. Those That is great ring psychology because, hey, didn't work the first time. Going to go back to it. Or another one is when you use something in a match like a like a avalanche in the corner or something. And then you try to go for it again. It doesn't work the second time. Little nods like that are great. There was another one. Tony Storm had one where she was she does this sliding clothesline. When the person's on the, against the bottom rope, she goes for it. Yoshirai hits with an elbow as it's coming in. And later on in the match, same thing. Yoshirai's sitting on the mat. She's leaned up against the bottom rope. Tony comes in, baseball slide into that clothesline. Again, it didn't work the first time. Tony saw an opportunity for it the second time, went for it, nailed it. There was a uh, tiger driver in this match that scared the shit out of me. Because Tony goes for the, the Tiger Driver. Yoshirai, I, don't, I swear to God, her head was like two feet off the ground when uh, Tony dropped. So I thought Yoshirai was about to be dropped on her goddamn head. Both ladies pulled it off beautifully. This was a really good finish where I love the finish that seemingly comes out of nowhere. And in this match, Tony Storm up to the top rope, goes for a diving headbutt misses and as she as she hits i don't i don't think she there was two seconds she had been on the mat for two seconds when yoshirai locks in a crippler crossface tapping out yoshirai retaining her women's title so this was really good uh action was really fast the the action was so fast there were times i couldn't tell them like did they botch that spot did they not because they just kept going it was great so Ah, this was, I thought this match was really good opener. We then had some more talky segments. Screw it. I'm skipping them. Finn Balor promo, LA Knight promo, Imperium promo. All right, got him out of the way. We had a great match between Jake Atlas, who WWE and, and NXT haven't done a whole lot with, and Pete Dunne. This match was really good for, it was short. It was a really short match. It did what it was supposed to do. And it was supposed to showcase Pete Dunne, and that's what they did. But they gave Jake Atlas a lot. They really did. Beginning of the match, they went hold for hold. They went counter for counter until Atlas goes for like a head a handstand head uh, scissors. And Pete Dunne just soccer kicks him in the goddamn face. That, that is, see, again, that's, that is great psychology because the babyface should be the better wrestler. He should be the one that's more technically sound. And at some point, the heel just says, you know what? Fuck this fucking fucker. And either thumbs him in the eye, punches him in the mouth, or kicks him in the head. That is great heel shit right there. And Pete Dunne shows why he's so goddamn good. He just takes apart Atlas's left arm and wrist and hand. Atlas gets a nice little, uh, nice little comeback. He got a really good fiery comeback. Goes for his uh, 
cartwheel DDT off the top rope, and Pete Dunne just punches him in that wrist that he's been working over. He gets Jake Atlas back down on the mat, and he just submits him, ties him into a Christmas bow. That was great. Dunn gets a nice little promo at the end, basically saying, I'm the best technical wrestler in the world, and I dare anyone to prove me wrong. So I want to know who's going to be the person to step up and prove him wrong. That should be fun. We then get the women's tag team title match between the newly crowned Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez and Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon. I'm assuming Shotzi and Ember got a title shot because they were the only ones who thought to bring a microphone to the opening segment. Maybe? I don't know. But this match, really good, except for the fact that I couldn't figure out who the heels and who the baby faces were. Dakota Kai and uh, Raquel Gonzalez worked this match from underneath. Like, the whole match. Shotzi and Ember got the majority of the match, which, if you're going to switch a title, is kind of weird to do. But anyway, finish happens when Raquel is getting ready to powerbomb Ember Moon. But Ember's fighting. She's trying to counter it. Dakota runs at Shotzi, Shotzi sidesteps, sends Dakota into Raquel, who then sends Raquel and Ember over the top rope. Shotzi wins the title with an O'Connor roll. That's kind of cool. I haven't seen that in ever, actually. She hits an O'Connor roll with a bridge. Referee counts three, and we have new women's tag team champions. That means Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai lost the titles that they were gifted an hour ago, giving them a Dean Douglas-like title reign. So congratulations to Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon. All right, I said I was skipping over the talkie segments, but this one this one was really good. We come back from commercial, and we see Shotzi Blackheart and Ember Moon coming back from the ring. They have their new titles. All the females in the division are crowded around them, and they are legit crying. You know what? I will I will say this. Obviously, pro wrestling is a work, but you can see when those moments are real. And Shotzi just bawling her eyes out because they just won the tag titles. That is very cool. I w- kind of like when the Iconics won the uh, the women's title at WrestleMania. Like they just started bawling in the middle of the ring. And you know what? I will applaud that because that moment was real, and I will give it to them. Camera does pan back, and you see Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell. They're just jealous as shit. They storm off. Johnny Gargano's right there saying, it should have been you. And Candice real, real, Candace really subtly says, well, obviously. You have Austin Theory who storms in. He that kind of spins Johnny around. And he says, did you pay off the therapist? And Johnny says, yeah. Austin says, why would you pay her off? And he says, and Johnny comes back with, therapy ain't free. I laughed hysterically. I have no idea why that line was so funny. Well, therapy ain't free. So I, I that personally I thought was great. And then Johnny Gargano tells him, well, now you know what Dexter Loomis really thinks about you. He says you're annoying. He says you don't know how to dress yourself. He says you have mediocre abs. And them's were fighting words for us in theory right there. You can make fun of my clothes. You can call me annoying, but once you insult my abs, I'm kicking your fucking ass. We then got two absolutely nothing matches. Just complete waste of time. We got Zia Lee versus Caden Carter. Two minutes in, we had, uh, what's her name? American Ninja Warrior. Casey Catanzaro. Yeah, that's her. 
Hit Zaya Lee with a crutch, just right in the hip. Two minutes in. Seriously, it was like a two-minute match. We then get a Zoe Stark uh, promo vignette. I thought that was cool. Would have been nice if they'd done that before her debut, but that's just me. And then we got the weirdest title match. We had Legato Del Fantasma versus the Grizzled Young Veterans, which is one of the dumbest names I've ever heard. Not as dumb as LA Knight, but it's up there. Who then, the match starts and we got again like another 90 seconds, maybe two minutes. When MSK comes down to the ring dressed in Brizango's spacesuits that I guess they loaned him. And they start kicking the shit out of the grizzled young vets. And then Brizango slides in the back, starts kicking the shit out of Legato del Fantasma. What the fuck's going on here? What... Did NXT say, we know we're an hour and a half in, we know somebody's got to take a bathroom break, so we're going to throw these two just absolute nothing matches in, and here, here you go. Go take your bathroom break, go get your food, go do whatever the hell you got to do, come back for the main event. It's pretty much what they did. But that leads us to our main event, Finn Balor versus Adam Cole for the NXT heavyweight title. This was a great match. If you guys want to have these two wrestle every week at the main event of every NXT show, I'm totally fine with that. I have no doubt these guys can go for at least two years before I get bored with this shit. This was great. There was one spot here that was a total dick move. I will say that. So, if you've been watching NXT, you know that Adam Cole put Kyle O'Reilly out with a brain buster on the middle stairs. Well, we go for that spot. Cole removes the uh, top of the stairs. He goes to give Finn a brain buster onto the metal stairs. Finn reverses it, lifts him up with a vertical suplex, and he could just drop and suplex Adam Cole onto those shiny black mats, right? No, Cole takes about eight or ten, or excuse me, Balor takes about eight or ten steps back, suplexes him on the metal ramp. I'm going like, ow, okay, you could have put him down on the mats, but no, you put him down on the fucking metal ramp, that's just a dick move. But these two guys work their ass off, beat the crap out of each other, the finish comes with Cole's outside the ring, he's pulling himself up on the guardrail, and on the other side of the guardrail, here comes Kyle O'Reilly, straight out of 1986, with his Metallica Ride the Lightning t-shirt and his sleeveless denim jacket on. And Cole just looks at him like, where the fuck did you come from? It was a great sell because it wasn't over. He didn't oversell it. He just looked up and he just saw this guy that he kicked the shit out of a couple weeks ago. And this guy's back and he's pissed. Balor slides out, 1916 on the floor, rolls Cole into the ring, climbs the top rope, hits him with the double stomp, the coup de grace, and that is it. One, two, three, Finn Balor retains the NXT title. The post-match sees Kyle O'Reilly just kicking the shit out of Adam Cole. He goes to give him the brain buster on the stairs. And here was Dick move number two. Kyle O'Reilly had his head busted on the, on the stairs a few weeks ago. He's going to go give it back to Adam Cole. But now you have like five or six referees running out and they stop Cole from going headfirst into the into the steel stairs, and I'm going, where the fuck were you guys three weeks ago when, when Kyle O'Reilly got dropped in his goddamn head? Dicks. 
Kyle and uh, Adam Cole they fight out into the they fight out into the backstage area. You've got Finn Balor standing in the middle of the ring, title over his shoulder, and as the camera pans around, Finn Balor just drops his head and says, "What took you so long?" Camera pans right, and there's Karrion Cross back from his shoulder injury. So I'm assuming we just set up two matches for the NXT two-night event, WrestleMania week. That is NXT TakeOver Stand and Deliver. Insert Edward James almost joke here. And uh, I'm looking forward to those because Karrion Cross and Finn Balor is a match we haven't seen. And in NXT and WWE, getting a match we haven't seen before is rare as shit. So I'm going to enjoy that. And we're going to have Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole just attempting to fucking kill each other. So, awesome. All right, let's go ahead and we're going to wrap up with uh, SmackDown for Friday, March 12th. And if you guys are getting any uh, any background noise now, I had to turn my air conditioner on because it's Bakersfield and it's hot as fuck already. So, yeah, the air had to go on. We start SmackDown with, of course, the 20-minute talkie segment. And like I said, I was going to skip all the talkie segments, but this is Edge, and Edge is always great. So, we start with Edge doing a 12-minute talkie. And, but here's, okay, so I love Edge's delivery. Edge is fantastic at cutting promos, but part of me wonders, does he, is he a John Cena? Is he a Undertaker? Does he have the clout where he doesn't have to have dipshits right for him? Because the delivery of this promo was excellent. The content was fucking trash. Edge comes out and he's talking about how basically he's saying that Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan, I almost said Brian Danielson. He's only been Daniel Bryan for like eight years. I'll get it eventually. Um, Daniel Bryan jumped the line. Edge won the Royal Rumble. He goes on to wrestle, main event of WrestleMania, but somehow Daniel Bryan jumped the line and is wrestling for the title at Fastlane. Bro, who gives a shit? You won the Royal Rumble. You faced the champion at WrestleMania. What the champion does between now and then is irrelevant. You'd, if you're sitting here and trying to convince me that you get more money for wrestling Roman, okay, I can see why you're pissed off. If you're telling me that you don't think Daniel Bryan is as good as Roman Reigns, so it's not going to be as big a match, okay, I can buy that too. But your entire bitch here is that Daniel Bryan jumped the line and got the title before you. Have you ever dated somebody that got pissed off at you for, for daring to have sex with somebody before you met them? This is the same shit. That's exactly what's going on here. We then had an eight-man tag with the uh, Street Profits, which is SmackDown's version of Private Party. R joined by Ray and Dominic Mysterio, and they are wrestling Chad Gable... Otis, who for some reason is a heel now, we had a Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler, I love Dolph Ziggler because Dolph Ziggler always reminds me if Shawn Michaels had a baby with Mr. Perfect and that baby was diagnosed with Down syndrome, that, that would be Dolph Ziggler. That, that it really, you always watch him working his ass off and he's trying to be Shawn Michaels and he's, tr but he's trying to be Mr. Perfect, but he doesn't have the timing of either one of them. He's athletic as shit. I'm not going to pretend he isn't, but 
yeah, he's taking Mr. Perfect bumps, but he's not taking them anywhere near where Perfect would take them. Or he's trying to deliver, uh, he's trying to deliver a, a Shawn Michaels performance and just never happened for the poor guy. Anyway, eight-man tags are fun, even though for the most part they're mostly pointless. They're, they really are. But this was fun, and we had a... Um, who won this match? Eh, it doesn't matter. We come back from commercial, and we have a backstage talkie with Seth Rollins going over what happened last week. I don't know. I fast-forwarded through it. We have this skit where Nia Jax has taken Reginald... The Somali- oh yeah, it's a Simone and the Sommelier. Um, they, he, she took her clothes shopping. And now they're sitting in the middle of a store and Reginald is sitting on her lap. I don't know, sounds off. Maybe he's telling her what he wants for Christmas. I don't know. We then have a nothing match between Cesaro and Murphy. I say nothing because the moment Seth Rollins put a chair on the ramp, I went, this is going to be an outside interference. And that's exactly what happens. Seth Rollins has a run-in. He's beating the shit out of Cesaro at the exact same time the cameraman was having an epileptic seizure because that camera was just all over the fucking place. So, thoughts and prayers go out to that cameraman. I hope he's okay because, yeah, that, that seizure looked pretty bad. We then get in a backstage talkie between Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn where Sami Zayn's trying to convince him to be part of the documentary, the one that's being been filmed for three months. Like, okay. There are World War II documentaries that didn't take this long to produce. Holy shit. We go to commercial, and we come back to an in-ring talkie. It is the KO show, and this was painful. Dear God, this was painful. The guest was Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair, because they are wrestling for the Women's Tag Team Championship at Fastlane and wrestling each other for the SmackDown Women's title. So, of course, we... Why? Explain to me why every time we have a title match at a big show, we have to tag these fuckers up at a show before that. What this? Why do we have... Again, WWE has an idea, and they beat this bitch into the ground. Every single time. And, folks, explain Sasha Banks to me. Please, please explain this. If you're a fan of her for her in-ring work, great, cool, got it. I understand that. She's a hell of an athlete. She's a hell of a worker. Her promos are a dumpster fire. They, now I know why they didn't let her speak on The Mandalorian. They gave her like one or two lines here. And let me ask you this. When she delivered those lines, does she have to cackle after every single time? Because that's, that's how all of her promos go. All of her promos, she'll deliver a line and then, <laughs> and then she'll have to fucking cackle. What? If she was a heel and her job was to annoy the fuck out of me, that would be one thing. But she's supposed to be a baby face and feels the need to punctuate every fucking sentence with a cackle. And then, of course, we get interrupted by Jackson Baszler. Um, again, power forward for the Clippers. No, Nia Jack, Shana, Shana Baszler, the women's tag team champions, they interrupt this. And before they can even pick up a microphone, they get interrupted by Natalia and Tamina Snuka. Why? I just, I didn't even finish a segment. I just hit fast forward. I said, screw this, this, no. 
I'm not going to do this shit. This is painful. We go to commercial, and when we come back, we find out that Natalia and Tamina are actually wrestling Sasha and Bianca in, I guess, a tune-up match for Fastlane. And Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler are having a sit-down talkie in the middle of this match. Oh, my God, folks. You know what? When you are forced to watch all 11 hours of wrestling in a week, scratch that, 14 hours of wrestling in a week because there was a pay-per-view this week, you realize how much fucking talking there is. I've never, like, when I was just a casual viewer and I was, I was like, yeah, I'll catch that show later or I'll watch this. And then some shit I never did. But when you, are, when you sit down every single day... So much talking. And it's a lot of it's pointless. Okay, the point of a promo. The point of a promo. Okay, promo is short for promote, meaning that you are trying to talk people into the building. You're trying to get them to buy a ticket. You're trying to get them to put their ass in the seats. WWE stopped doing house shows. They have let out, they have released press releases that said even after the pandemic's over, they're done with house shows, which means they're done with ticket sales. So why the hell are we having people talk so much to sell tickets that don't exist anymore? Son of a bitch. All right, so back to this shitstorm of a match, because this was horrible. This is absolutely horrible. You had... Again, Sasha and Bianca against Natalia and Tamina. You've got Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler on commentary, and you have Reggie. I'm going to start calling him Reggie. Because you had Reggie doing a runway walk on the announce table, just up and back, showing off the new clothes that Nia Jax just bought him. And for some reason, Sasha Banks feels the need to jump up on the table and get in his face. Reggie then runs into the ring, which is not a disqualification. This is stupid because I've seen people, you know, run on the field during an NFL game and play is stopped and, well, the guy's beaten severely. This does not happen. Sasha chases him. The referee's trying to get both of them out of the ring. Uh, Tamina rolls up Bianca, one, two, three, and your winners are Natalia and Tamina, the team of overstayed their welcome. And then we proceed to have an argument that pretty much looked like every argument that you ever saw in the real world. You have Bianca Belair just yelling at Sasha Banks like, you don't even want him. Why is he here? You're just entertaining him. Why? Whoever scripted this, whatever member of WWE creative, and if that isn't a fucking ironic term, I don't know what is. Whoever wrote this should have been taken outside and beaten with a rubber hose. That, that's, that's just my opinion. We then have a segment with Big E after he makes his return from being injured by the Nigerian Nightmare Apollo Crews. And we start out with a talkie. He, uh, he calls out Apollo Crews, who obviously does not show up, which is, that's just basic heel shit. So Apollo, I mean, not Apollo, uh, Big E. Big E says, screw it, I'm fighting somebody tonight. Who wants a shot at the Intercontinental title? So, of course, we get... Uh, Baron Corbin, he comes out. Sami Zayn comes out and says, nope, dibs, I, I beat you to it. What'd I tell you? Sami Zayn can take an ass whooping. And that's exactly what he did. Biggie whooped his ass. We finally get a run-in from Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed? Apollo Crews. I knew I was going to do that. At some point, I just knew that was going to happen. We get a beat down from Apollo Crews, who beat Biggie's ass again. 
wait, this guy just got back from an injury he received after an ass whooping from Apollo Crews, and now Apollo's going to whoop his ass again? All right. Okay. Which then leads us to our main event talkie segment. It is the contract signing between Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan for Fastlane. Daniel Bryan signs a contract, and Roman Reigns says, No, no, I'm not feeling it. And Daniel Bryan launches into this great promo of, Maybe you don't want to sign because I did something you couldn't do last week. I made Jey Uso say I quit. Remember remember that match you guys had, the I quit match, and you couldn't make him say you I quit? I did that last week. Maybe I should be the head of the table. Maybe I should be the rule of the island. And he cuts this fantastic promo. And Roman, oh, Roman is the king of facial expressions. Because the look on his face, this I'm going to fucking kill you look. He just grabs a pen. He signs it. Jimmy J. Uso, he jumps up into Daniel Bryan's face and says, he, he starts getting all pissed off. He's like, uh, uh, what's his name? Sticky Fingers from um, the second Friday movie. Just talking a whole lot of shit. And he says, you know, we need a special enforcer. Pierce, make me the special enforcer. Edge comes out. Edge comes out and says, you know what? That's a great idea, but I will do you one better. Next week, Edge, J. Uso, Winner gets to be the special enforcer at Fastlane. And Adam Pierce says, that's a great idea. Let's make it official. Edge versus Jey Uso next week. Winner gets to be the special enforcer. And I went, wait, hold on. All you have to do to make it official is say, is the, the commissioner has to say it? Then why the fuck are we doing all these contract signings? Tell the commissioner just to fucking say it. We don't have to do the contract signings. But then a fight breaks out because it's a contract signing and there always has to be a fight that breaks out. And it ends with Brian, Daniel Bryan. See, I almost said Brian Danielson again. Daniel Bryan runs in, just hits Edge right in the face meet with a running knee. And that's how we go off the air. That's it. Nothing, nothing more to see here, folks. So that's it. That is the week in wrestling for the week of March 7th, 2021. Oh, God, this one took forever. This one took forever. So, all right, guys, my name is Greg Hernandez. I am the Ninja Nerd Warrior, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. You can find this podcast along with the normal Ninja Nerd Warrior podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts from. Or you can go to ninjanerdwarriorpodcast.com. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. Give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find the show. Thank you guys so much. And, um, yeah, it took me an hour and a half this time, but I just wrapped up 14 hours of wrestling TV shows, and I did it all for you guys because I love you guys. All right. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.